from Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. On June 16th, the Joint Liaison Office between North Korea and South Korea, located in Kaesong, was blown up by the North Koreans. That was a very significant event. Ambassador Joe Detrani, former U.S. Special Envoy to the six-party talks with North Korea, says that was significant because the building was a symbol of peace between North and South Korea. Peace, prosperity, and reconciliation. But Detrani says blowing up the symbol of peace means North Korea could be on a different, dangerous path towards nuclear war again. North Korea in, in 2017 showed that not only do they have uh, missiles that could deliver, if you will, a nuclear warhead to South Korea, to Japan, but also to the United States. With all the other chaotic events going on in the U.S., Detrani says now more than ever, the U.S. needs to pay close attention to North Korea. Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien this week called on North Korea to refrain from provocations and return to dialogue. O'Brien's comments come after North Korea blew up an inter-Korean liaison office, angry over anti-Pyongyang propaganda leaflets sent by defectors, but then they did it about face and suspended plans to take military action against South Korea. So what exactly is going on inside North Korea? Are there likely to be more provocations? How far will they go? On this episode, we talk to Ambassador Joe Detrani, former U.S. Special Envoy to the Six-Party Talks with North Korea, about those issues and more. As you mentioned, they blew up the uh, Joint Liaison Office at, uh, in Kaesong uh, on the border with uh, South Korea. That was a very significant event. Obviously, this was, a, this was established, this Joint Liaison Office, so that communications between the North and South uh, would, be, uh, would be dynamic. Uh, it was a result of the uh, Panmunjom Declaration of April 2018 when uh, Kim Jong-un met with uh, President Moon Jae-in of South Korea, and there was an agreement that they would start to look towards reconciliation, peace, prosperity, and reconciliation. And the Joint Liaison Office was a manifestation of this uh, new path to seek reconciliation. So when they blew it up last week, that was uh, very significant. But before blowing it up, that I think was equally significant was Ko Yong-jung, the uh, sister of uh, Kim Jong-un uh, came out with some very critical commentary about South Korea, uh, President Moon Jae-in, and the fact that the South Koreans weren't doing enough. 
and they were they apparently uh, at least the language she used indicated that the North viewed the South as being weak in regards to inter-Korean relations, and they expected more from South Korea. So these comments came out, and then they blew up the uh, joint liaison office and came out with some very vitriolic uh, commentary out of the, the Korean Central News Agency, which continued to criticize South Korea for being weak and not moving forward in inter-Korean relations. What do you think, as you see what took place, the, the detonation and the, the vitriolic rhetoric that preceded and followed that, what do you think the impact of blowing that uh, building up but, but wider um, the, the impact of the, the stance that North Korea has taken against South Korea? Well, I think it was very significant. I, uh, I think the, the sense was that uh, North Korea, although we've been dealing with North Korea, as, as you know so well, JJ, for the last 26 years in negotiations, uh, when there's a hiccup, when they don't get what they want, they, uh, they get angry and, and they threaten to escalate. And occasionally they do escalate and they expect the uh, South Koreans, the, the U.S. to accommodate. So I, I think that was a very uh, seminal significant event, the blowing up of the uh, joint liaison office. And it, it, it indicated that there would be escalation, further escalation with tension uh, on the Korean Peninsula, certainly with South Korea. Um, the escalation, how far does this go? Well, I, w I would say certainly uh, short range and uh, likely intermediate range ballistic missile launches which I think is significant. We, in March, we saw a number of short-range ballistic missiles being launched. But when you go to intermediate-range ballistic missiles and possibly looking at an intercontinental ballistic missile being launched, like a Hwasong-14 or Hwasong-15, that is very significant because it not only uh, is uh, escalation in regards to South Korea, it indeed is escalation in regards to the United States. You know, that's, those are very chilling words. Uh, I know you've uh, put the best, most professional um, language on this, but the bottom line on this is this looks like it could be war. Well, if there's escalation, and whenever there is escalation, there's always the possibility of, of, of miscommunications, uh, stumbling into uh, greater conflict, uh, we've seen this historically in, in the past. So yes, there's always the chance of, of, uh, of some of these escalatory moves on the part of the North Koreans uh, lending itself to further escalation and possibly uh, conflict. There's no question. I will say this though, JJ. I think within the last uh, day, day and a half, I think North Korea, my view, having dealt with them for so many years, certainly since 2003. My view is I think they, they feel, or there may be some who have gotten to Kim Jong-un feel that by blowing up the joint liaison office and saying all these extremely uh, uh, provocative, uh, vitriolic uh, comments about uh, how displeased they are with, uh, with South Korea, because when they criticize South Korea, they're criticizing also the United States because the criticism of South Korea is that, why haven't you been able to convince the Americans 
to possibly lift sanctions or, or to be more accommodating. So it's not only a criticism of South Korea, it's a criticism of the United States of, of not giving North Korea some of the things they were hoping to get. And that would be in regards to sanctions relief. Over the last 24 hours, with commentaries coming out of KCNA, it seems that the, the North Koreans, after threatening to uh, reinstall speakers that would be going into uh, 20 to 40 speakers that would be uh, disseminating uh, around the clock uh, propaganda into South Korea, as they did in 2017 when things were very tense, North Korea said, we're going to, uh, we're going to uh, revisit this and we will now restart these, these loudspeaker uh, commentaries going into South Korea, similar to what they did a few years ago when tensions were very, uh, very extreme and very, indeed very tense. Uh, uh, over the last 24 hours, North Korea, uh, and they've used Kim Yong-chol, the man who was responsible for uh, informing, advising, working with Kim Jong-un during the meeting, the Singapore summit and the Hanoi summit, they've walked that back and apparently they're not moving forward with installing these loudspeakers that would disseminate propaganda into South Korea. Now, is that a positive mood? I think it is a positive mood. I think, I think this is for some reason, uh, I would like to believe the reason being that, uh, that Kim Jong-un is saying, what are we doing here? Are we, are we escalating to a point where we can't walk this back? I don't think North Korea wants to escalate to a point where they can't walk it back and try to get some resolution from South Korea, certainly from the United States, in regards to sanctions and, and, and some of the other benefits that they're, they're looking for. Then let me ask this question. If, if Kim Jong-un, as you uh, seem to assess here, is looking to walk this back, who walked it up there in the first place? Was it he who did it, or was it Kim Yo Jong? Was it someone else? What does that say as well about who's running things in North Korea? Certainly, has uh, enough influence to do something like that. That is a gigantic, not just national, region or regional uh, security issue, but an international security issue. So, uh, how did that start, and uh, who, who, who's he? Who's, whose efforts are he walking back? No, I, I, those are very, very good points. Uh, the decision maker in North Korea is Kim Jong-un. One would have to believe with, uh, when Kim Jong-un uh, came out with those uh, vitriolic statements, and then when they move forward with the, uh, the bombing, if you will, the, uh, destroying the joint liaison office in Kaesong, these had to be, in my view, decisions taken by Kim Jong-un now were they uh, explicitly taken by Kim Jong-un or were people like Kim Jong-un uh, assuming that Kim Jong-un would approve the, uh, the, small, the demolishing the joint liaison office? Uh, so were, was he exactly uh, instrumental in that decision per se? I, I don't know. I don't think any of us know the answer to that question. But he is the ultimate decision maker, and uh, and now walking it somewhat back by at least on the loudspeaker side. I don't think they're walking back some of the some of the criticism of South Korea per se, 
but but by one day saying we're going to reinstall these loudspeakers, uh, which is extremely provocative, and we're going to be disseminating this loud music and propaganda into South Korea 24/7. By walking that back, and also possibly uh, reconsidering the threats they made about uh, introducing the Korean People's Army into Kaesong, the industrial complex area or reintroducing uh, Korean People's Army uh, 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 personnel into tourist sites like uh, Mount Kumgang. Those are very provocative statements made by North Korea over the last few days. Now, uh, if they're walking some of that back, and apparently they are, where they may not be introducing the Korean People's Army into these tourist uh, sites and the Kaesong area, and maybe not, uh, militarizing the DMZ like they threatened to militarize by reintroducing troops into those areas of the DMZ that were demilitarized during the uh, 2018 to uh, 2019 period when we had summits. Uh, they uh, now, if they're not going to uh, remilitarize those DMZ sites, I think that's significant. I think that's, uh, in my view, my assessment would be that Kim Jong Un is saying, "Have we gone too far? Yeah. Are we too threatening here? Are we?" And and then, of course, South Korea has responded very very strongly towards some of these uh, provocative statements coming out of North Korea, with their Minister of Defense saying, "Enough." And the, even President Moon Jae-in has said, "Well, no, that's enough." And I think maybe North Korea, hopefully, North Korea got that message and and is realizing. You don't want to go too far because you may not be able to walk something back if you go too far. And as you said initially, this could escalate to the point where there could be miscalculation and we could stumble possibly even into conflict. Two other issues that I'd like to introduce into the conversation. And, and one is the book by John Bolton. And the second piece is Where's China? But first, Bolton, um, he says in his upcoming book that the dialogue between the U.S., North Korea and South Korea was pretty much facilitated by the South Koreans to further their own ends, which was uh, reunification to some degree. Uh, and um, that has angered the South Koreans. And they say that what Bolton has said is not accurate. They say it's uh, just, just distorts the way things work and the business of doing what they do is. Uh, how how the business it distorts how the business of what they're trying to do actually uh, took place. You, as someone who's participated in this, um, what do you see as uh, uh, what's the truth here? Because Bolton says one thing, the South Koreans are saying another. So, uh, JJ, I've not read the book. Uh, I'm aware of some of the statements that the uh, uh, um, uh, South Koreans have said in response to uh, um, some of the uh, material in the John Bolton's book. Uh, look, uh, I can't see how South Korea can be, can be criticized if they're trying to facilitate a dialogue between the United States and North Korea on, de on, on denuclearization. I mean, that was the whole point of going back to 1994 with the agreed framework was denuclearization. So if South Korea is trying to facilitate um, a more meaningful or even a dialogue between the United States and North Korea, how could they be criticized for doing that? 
That should be something they're pursuing. And indeed, if they're pursuing uh, ultimate reunification, isn't that what it's all about? Isn't that what it's all about? That eventually the North and South would come together on a unified Korean peninsula? So I think the criticism, I don't know if it's true or not, but I think the, uh, I think the premise for the criticism uh, is specious in my view, because yeah. reunification is the sine qua non. That is what it's all about. And if, if South Korea could help, and, and, and my experience working with South Korea and the North Koreans in negotiations, the South Koreans have, have tried to encourage North Korea to be more forthcoming and to be at the table. Because it's not only beneficial towards ultimately reunification, it's beneficial in regards to peace in the region, peace in the world, and ultimately denuclearization and, and a peace treaty in the Korean War. So uh, I'm a, I, I, I've not read the book, but I, I'm not sure that uh, uh, my view is that criticism is not justified. China, you said to me on numerous occasions throughout the last decade and more that China has a lot to say about what North Korea does. China's relationship with the U.S. right now is in tatters, to say the least. Um, I'm wondering what kind of uh, influence China might have on North Korea's decisions right now, and if they might even try to exert any influence considering uh, the poor state of relations with the U.S. right now? No, I think uh, China has always been the, uh, the key to uh, ultimately a peaceful resolution of the, uh, of the, uh, uh, on the Korean Peninsula of the nuclear issue with North Korea. Uh, and I think China continues to be the key. I mean, North Korea, over 90% of the trade, the, uh, the crude oil, the uh, petroleum products, it's all China, China, China. So I think China still has a lot of influence. I think the meetings between uh, Kim Jong-un and, um, and President Xi Jinping uh, were emblematic of the fact that it's, it's back to uh, teeth, lips and teeth. It's back to a close allied relationship between the North Korean, between North Korea and, and China. I think that's the reality. So I think China has influence on North Korea as we speak. I think China would be encouraging North Korea to come back to negotiations. It's not in China's interest to see escalation, escalation that could lend itself to the potential for conflict on the Korean Peninsula. It doesn't serve China's interest at all. But I think the, the, the point you made is right on. The, uh, if there's tension between the United States and China, and there is significant tension between the United States and China for all the reasons we know, whether it's trade, whether it's COVID-19, uh, South China Sea, et cetera, does that sort of uh, does that sort of lose some of that uh, momentum uh, where China and the U.S. can come together in a more meaningful way to be more persuasive towards Kim Jong Un and North Korea to come back to negotiations in a, in a, and and for North Korea to be reasonable in that approach and indeed to <laughs> convince North Korea not to escalate? Uh, I would like to believe that maybe China had something to do in the last few days with. Uh, uh, maybe trying to convince Kim Jong-un that where are you going with this escalation? Is it going to get out of hand? So, yes, I think uh, it's, it's, uh, it's necessary for the United States and China to work together as we have in the past, certainly the six-party talks. We had the joint statement of September 19, 2005. It's important for the U.S. and China to work together on a peaceful resolution 
to issues with North Korea. Uh, and uh, I'm hoping, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm hoping, but I'm assuming that's happening. Is it happening uh, uh, as effectively as it should be? I, I don't have an answer for that. But I would think it's in China's interest as it is in the US, Japan, and, and Russia, and other countries' interest to see North Korea coming back to negotiations and to move yeah. towards as we were doing in, in 2018 with the summits and then early 2019 with the Hanoi summit to uh, a resolution, a peaceful resolution of issues with North Korea. Does the U.S. have the bandwidth to deal with this right now? You know, the protest after the George Floyd uh, murder and all of the, uh, you know, concern and consternation about racism, systemic racism in, in the U.S. There's the U.S.'s uh, situation with the nuclear treaty with Russia. There is COVID-19. How can we forget that? Uh, you know, there's an election coming up. Um, there are all sorts of other problems around, you know, the White House right now, including people associated with the White House being either sentenced to jail or prison, rather, or being acquitted or, 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 or charges being dropped, as is the case with Michael Flynn. There are just so many different things, irons in the fire for this administration. Does it have the bandwidth to deal with something uh, as far away, but still is as serious as North Korea? Because as you mentioned, with those long range ICBMs, they could be here in a minute. I believe the U.S. does have the bandwidth to do all of the above. I, I agree with everything you said about COVID-19 and the tension we have with, uh, with China on, uh, in, on some of those issues, South China Sea, but also other issues that you mentioned. There's no question. But, you know, on the issue of North Korea and denuclearization, the bandwidth is with diplomacy. And that's what it's all about. And I think with the, the summits, this Hanoi summit and the, uh, then the uh, prior to that, the Singapore summit, and then even a few minutes at the DMZ, I thought, I think we've uh, lost a little of the focus here because the focus has to be with State Department and diplomacy. And indeed, this is, this is why we have the diplomats doing the job, and they do, I think, an excellent job of negotiating issues like denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. Uh, unfortunately, even going back to 2018 with the uh, Singapore and then the Hanoi summit, the DMZ meeting, it, uh, it, it's not been in the court of the diplomats and the negotiators per se. We need to bring it back to the negotiators. We need to bring it back to those negotiators on both sides, North Korea and the United States, who know the issues and know them well and get the direction from the White House and, and our leadership. And I think the leadership there, I mean, I think there is bandwidth, there's no doubt. And certainly Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has the lead on this. So, and he's committed to it. And I, you know, from personal experience, and I, I know he's committed to that, but he's, so, but what we need, something we haven't been able to do, and a lot of it is because the North Koreans refuse to have these meetings, we need to get our diplomats back to negotiations with North Korea, but also to include uh, with China and certainly our allies in South Korea and, and, and Japan and, and, and Russia. And I'm not saying, uh, you know, reconstituting the six-party process, but this is, a, this is a, a team effort. It's not just the U.S. and North Korea. 
uh, this touches South Korea profoundly. And for China and for Russia, it's, it's extremely important as it is for Japan. So this is what diplomacy is all about, bringing those, those key actors together, but indeed getting our diplomats in the fore so they can do this work. And I think this is what's been lacking. I think we do have the bandwidth. I think there should be more of a focus now because if I was sitting and advising Kim Jong-un, I would say you have a President Donald Trump whom you've met three different times and you say you have a good relationship with him, will seize on that relationship and try to get something going here to meet your needs, North Korea, but also to move forward on what we're saying is the core issue. And we've been saying this for 26 years. It's complete verifiable denuclearization. If you're serious, Kim Jong-un, about doing that, but you need security assurances, you need the economic development assistance, uh, you need a path towards a normal relationship with the United States, all of those things, that's what the diplomats are paid to do. And coming up with a roadmap uh, to see that the, uh, ultimately both sides can get, uh, both sides being North Korea and all of the others, can get com complete verifiable denuclearization and North Korea can get the security assurance, the sanctions lifted, the economic development assistance, and, and, and ultimately a path towards normal relations with the United States. JJ, this is what they want. This is what I think, uh, you know, Kim Jong-un's grandfather was talking about when he met Billy Graham in 1994 and, and, and President Jimmy Carter in 1994, ultimately a normal relationship with the United States. Because this is ultimately the best security assurances is having a normal relationship with the US and all of the above. So yes, I do think we have the bandwidth. We just got to get, get that focus back on. And I get, and, and you know, uh, you know, um, Mike Pompeo and Steve Began and the whole team at State, they've been asking for meetings with North Korea. And I think the North Koreans, especially at a time like now, at this time, when, when tensions are so high, uh, to have a meeting. And let me just say this also, South Korea is so critical to this because it's the Korean Peninsula. So, you know, uh, you know, not seeing President Moon Jae-in and, and the South Koreans uh, exactly in the fore on a lot of these issues here would be, I think, unfortunate and disheartening. But I, I think the U.S. has always said South Korea needs to be at the table. It's, it's, it's the Korean Peninsula and, 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 and so forth. And I think this is where the criticism of, back to your first question, of President Moon Jae-in and South Korea was, is that the North Koreans were thinking the South Koreans can convince the United States to do some of these things like lifting sanctions and so forth. Well, North Korea, you need to sit down and tell the Americans that, but also uh, we need to ensure that South Korea is always at the table, uh, whether it's a, a, you know, a bilateral or not. Uh, and I, you know, I think that's the case. From my experience, we've always uh, worked hand in glove with our allies in South Korea to ensure that North Korea may understands very clearly they will never succeed in putting a wedge between the United States and South Korea. This is something, this is something that we have to protect so, so carefully. You know, you talk about the backbone, um, the bandwidth rather of the U.S. to do this. The U.S. has the bandwidth. The backbone of that bandwidth is the back channel, right? So tell me about the back channel. Well, you know, JJ, I don't know that there is a back channel. I mean, I, I think in the past we did have uh, communications with North Korea. 
uh, when we were talking about uh, getting our the two uh, women journalists who were held there in, in 2009. Uh, there were other means when we didn't have, when there was a hiccup in, 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 in formal, uh, normal negotiations, we used every means possible to include the, that, the back channel that you, that you mentioned. Uh, and we saw success with the release of the journalists and, 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 uh, and, and some other dialogue. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I know the South Koreans did. Uh, 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 goes back to John Bolton's uh, book, which I've not read, but, but based on what you just said, Bolton said the South Koreans were instrumental in getting North Korea to agree to meeting with President Donald Trump or to inviting President Donald Trump to a meeting. Uh, that's a back channel from South Korea, and I think that that worked. Uh, I'm not sure how you know how much of a back channel that is, but I, it did work. So there's a value in in a cha in all channels. Ideally, it's the formal channel. That's where we do the negotiations. But if the formal channel isn't kicking in in a in a in a productive way, then use any other means possible to facilitate a dialogue so we can build trust. And we can get back to a normal diet. And so, yeah, I'm a big supporter of any form of diet. Indeed, the ultimate dialogue is the form of diet. Okay. Uh, very last thing. Just briefly, would you put in the starkest language possible, accurate and obviously uh, meaningful language possible for the American people who are listening and others that are listening, the threat to the U.S., from North Korea, from its nuclear program. JJ, North Korea in, in 2017 showed that not only do they have uh, missiles that could deliver, if you will, a nuclear warhead to South Korea, to Japan, but even to uh, even to Guam, but but also to the United States. They have they've shown with the Hwasun 14, 15 these intercontinental ballistic missiles that they have missile systems that could reach the United States. And the assessment is they, they have weaponized their uh, nuclear materials and they've miniaturized it and they can mate it to a missile delivery system. So just by definition, the threat is not only to South Korea and to Japan and the region, the threat is a global threat, certainly to include the United States. No one wants to even think about going there, but that's a reality. If things got out of hand, is, is that possible? Now, we all assess, I'm strongly uh, in agreement with this assessment, that North Korea is not suicidal. If they ever use a nuclear weapon, it would be the end of the regime. And they're not suicidal. But that doesn't mean we, there can't be miscommunications, misunderstandings. There can't be miscalculations so that we stumble into something that escalates Further, and this could start on the Korean Peninsula. It could start on the uh, northern uh, limit line on the sea there, the West sea, West Sea, and it could escalate accordingly. And no one's looking for the ultimate escalation, but that's always a possibility because of of uh, escalation by definition and, and 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 miscalculation. So yes. Uh, and we're talking about nuclear. Well, mind you, North Korea has other capabilities, whether they be, you know, whether they be the cyber, and we saw that, but also I think there'll be hearings on chemical and biological. There are other things there, not only that touch our allies, but also that touch the security of the United States. So, no, we don't want to be threatened. 
and we 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 know uh, we the capabilities are overwhelming that North Korea wouldn't even think of going that way. But we have to be realistic in saying, if there's no communication and if there's miscommunications and miscalculations, things could escalate and they could escalate quickly. And North Korea has capabilities that are, are inimical to the uh, well-being of our allies and certainly to the United States. That's Joe Detrani, former U.S. Special Envoy to the Six-Party Talks with North Korea. It's very clear, and it's been clear for a good while, North Korea is still a problem for the U.S. It's still a threat to the U.S. and the West, and of course, its neighbors, South Korea, Japan, and everyone else that's in the region. The question we wrestle with still is what will they do next? We will continue to follow this. That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up in our next episode. So Russia allegedly has paid bounties to the Taliban to kill U.S. troops. There have been multiple reports indicating this has been floating around the national security community and indeed the White House for more than a year. So how much did the president know? When did he know it and whom did he learn it from? And what should be done about it? We'll examine that on our next episode with a certain former National Security Advisor and another former National Security Council communications official. So it will be a very interesting show. If you have any questions or comments, send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, one word, at whiskeytangooscarpapa.com. Also, follow us on Twitter, and we're at at TUSA podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha podcast. Also, if you want more national security information, you can sign up for Inside the Skiff. That's my weekly newsletter. And you can sign up at WTOP.com slash alerts. I'm JJ Green, and this is Target USA, the national security podcast. Hey, 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 this is NFL Hall of Famer, Ray Lewis. I'm excited to announce the launch of my new podcast, Everyday Greatness, the Ray Lewis Podcast. I'll be talking with friends, family members, old teammates, athletes, celebrities, moguls, and guess what? I'll be talking to you. Listen, this is all in the search for Everyday Greatness. So I'm asking you to come along with me on this ride. Download new episodes of Everyday Greatness, the Ray Lewis podcast, every Friday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on PodcastOne.com. It's not what you have. It's what's inside of you that actually inspires greatness. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.